Welcome, everybody, to episode number four of the Average Jake Firefighter podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Robbie Owens, from the Average Jake Firefighter blog. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about some conflict management stuff, specifically going over the book, Crossfire, Taking the Heat Out of Conflict, by Randy Kern. Uh, But before that, before we jump into the topic of conflict management, I just want to Uh, I'm going to do this at the end as well, but I just want to acknowledge just the tremendous amount of support that I've had for starting this endeavor. It has been uh, just amazing the amount of people who have commented, uh, called me, texted me saying that they've enjoyed the podcast. That really makes me feel good, um, you know, because this was something that was kind of on a wing and a prayer for me. Uh, And specifically want to thank all the people who support me, like Pete Lamb, uh, Lane Woolery, uh, Ryan Pennington, uh, Vanguard Safety Wear, Fire and Iron Clothing, uh, everyone who's dropped me a line, Will Apperson, everybody who has said something positive or even negative about the podcast because that helps me get better. It helps me create better content. And I want to do this not just for me, not just to 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 be known or, or, or to jump into the fire service podcast ring. I just want to be able to share the things that have been impactful to me through my fire service journey. And those guys that I've mentioned and just everyone who's supported me throughout this process has been amazing. They've provided me good feedback. And it's invaluable for me to just be successful with the mission that I want to push forward in the fire service. Uh, so thanks everybody. And again, you know, specifically if I'm leaving somebody out, that's not intentional. I just forgot. And uh, but specifically to those to those vendors who who I use their 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 products, Vanguard Safety Wear, Fire and Iron Clothing. Thanks for believing in me. Um, so and again, thanks for all the friends that I have out there. Thanks for everybody who's listened. Uh, it's been pretty amazing to see how many people have listened to the podcast. If you like what you're hearing, go to iTunes, leave a review that'll help more people find it. Uh, hit that five-star review, write a review for it. It'll help people find the podcast, and uh, that's it. And so we're going to get going with uh, Crossfire, taking heat out of conflict with Randy Kern. So as I said, uh, today's episode, episode number four of the Average Jake Firefighter blog, is going to be going through the book Crossfire, Taking the Heat Out of Conflict by Randy Kern. Just to give a little background on who Randy Kern is, Uh, Randy Kern is a training professional and leadership expert with more than 25 years of experience in the fire service and is an accomplished chief officer, instructor, and community educator. Randy has dedicated his life to instilling leadership in every professional and personal capacity. In addition to delivering thought-provoking presentations and training sessions across the country, Randy still serves as district chief, training officer, and division chief of emergency medical services for Lealman Fire District in Pinellas County. I believe that's in Florida uh, for everybody who's who's checking. So, I mean, the guy's got a tremendous amount of uh, op- of experience. Uh, I first became familiar with Randy Kern's book and himself through the Virginia Fire Officer Academy. Uh, specifically, uh, my good buddy, Lieutenant Ben Martin from over at EmbraceTheResistance.com uh, gave me the book or his copy, let me borrow his copy of the book at first. And it, it's a short read. Uh, it, it's only about 200 or so pages, but uh, it, actually 100 or so pages rather, but it is chock full of valuable information that I, once I read it the first time, I went out and got myself a copy 
the three lieutenants who work for me in my current position, I bought them all a copy of this book because I believe that conflict management is something that we don't prepare ourselves enough for in the fire service. And I'll be quite honest with you, I don't feel like I'm very good at it. I don't feel that conflict management is a strength for me. Uh, Anybody who knows me knows that I'm a very emotional person. I wear my heart on my sleeve. Uh, I don't have great body language. When something annoys me or something gets on my nerves, it's very hard for me to hide those emotions. However, through reading this book multiple, multiple times, I've been able to improve. I'm not perfect at it. Uh, and sometimes in today's fire service, you don't even get the opportunity to manage the conflict because people go straight to human resources or they go, or they go above your head or they don't even talk to you about it. But in the chances that I've gotten to utilize this crossfire method and just the things in this book that you're going to hear in a few minutes, uh, I feel like it's made a big improvement. I believe in this book. And I think that it's something that it, that company officers in the fire service need. It, I think it's a lesser known book. Uh, you don't hear a lot of people talking about it, but I feel like it's a valuable book. It's been very valuable for me. So let's get started with it. And we're going to go straight to the book with uh, Understanding Conflict. We're going to go straight to the book here. And this is Randy speaking in a first person if you had walked into my fire station when I first got promoted, you'd have easily identified me as a new officer. White shirt, still stiff, gold lieutenant badge, extra shiny, and let me tell you, I was young. Much younger than the crew I was now responsible for. Despite my age, I felt extremely confident I could do a good job. I'd been preparing for the position for years. And who hasn't been in that position? I know for me personally, uh, you know, even going as far back as volunteering, uh, I started volunteering at my fire department, my volunteer fire department, when I was 15 years old. Uh, you know, came up through firefighter one and two, started riding the trucks, and within by the time I was 20 years old, I I had been hired as a career firefighter, but by the time I was 20 years old, I was a volunteer officer, volunteer lieutenant riding in the front seat of the fire truck, and man, I felt the exact same way as Randy Kern did. Uh, you know, I was definitely confident, probably overconfident, to be quite honest with you. I didn't know what I didn't know, and that was it. You could tell. Uh, you know, I look back at that time in my life, and well, at the time I was, I'm the best guy for this job. When in reality, I was not ready to be in the front of that fire truck as a 20 year old uh, volunteer firefighter who only had probably about at the time when I got voted in, cause we didn't promote or, or anything. It was a vote, uh, which was mostly based on popularity to be quite honest with you. Uh, by the time I got voted into that Lieutenant position, uh, I was, you know, a 20 year old with maybe six months of career firefighting experience. So was I ready to be a volunteer officer? Probably not. Was I ready to be an officer in general? Probably not, but that was one of the things that it just happened. Uh, you know, a lot of times in the volunteer fire service, you're if you're around a lot, they're going to give you some responsibility because you're there to deal with the stuff. So back to the book. Within just a few weeks, a day came that I questioned my readiness, not the technical parts of doing the job, but my belief that I was ready to lead others. The day started as most shifts do. The crew went off to check the trucks and start on regular duties. While I headed to my office to prepare for our daily training, before long, I felt the need to go check on everyone, a routine I'd developed early on. While walking the station, I noticed that one of my paramedics, John, was sitting idly on the bumper of an engine, 
talking to someone who appeared to be a friend. I didn't say anything initially, but I did make eye contact with him to let him know I was watching. I continued my rounds and eventually made my way back to the engine bay where John continued talking with his friend. Knowing he hadn't checked the equipment, I decided to approach him. John, I really need you to check the equipment and get started on the daily duties. Slowly, John rose from the bumper to his full six foot four and looked straight down at me. Go do it yourself. I just stood there looking at him. I thought, I can't believe he just challenged me. I'm his officer. What is he thinking? Can't believe he did that in front of a guest. After a long moment, my reaction shifted. What should I say and do about this? Now, again, I I have been involved in situations like this several times, and we'll talk about this later on in the book, but usually those reactions when I'm talking about myself don't go very well. Uh, I've been witness to some like that. I've been involved in some like that. And I can tell you, usually we, I use the term fly hot. I usually fly hot in those type of situations. And that's just not the right thing to do. And I think we've all, if you look through your, your fire service career, there has been somebody, uh, whether it be from you're a senior man or you're even a rookie or even you know specifically a company officer that someone has challenged you and we take that personal who doesn't take that personal i know i take it personal sometimes you have to pull yourself out of it and realize that it's not personal you know they maybe are challenging the organization and you're the arm of the organization they don't like something that's going on uh you know organizationally maybe they're having a rough day at home maybe that's why that guy's there talking to John and they're having a rough day at home and they just need a few extra minutes you know perceptions everything and we can perceive things to be false. Uh, you know that perception is that he's challenging me, where in reality he's just having a bad day. So, but who hasn't been in that situation? I think it's something in, imperative that we realize that it's not always about us. It may be about something else that's going on uh, when we get challenged. Back to the book. A glance at his guest told me he was curiously watching to see what I would do. I looked directly at John and opened my mouth to speak. Nothing came out. I didn't know what to say. A total loss for words. After looking at him for a few seconds, I closed my mouth, turned around, and walked away. As my feet moved, my brain started to engage. I told myself, you have to go back. You have to say something. Instead, I went to my office, still upset. There I started to consider a response. But I didn't want to go back and talk to John now in front of his guest. Better to wait until the man left. After the man left, it seemed best just to speak to John after he checked the equipment out. Yes, the equipment should be checked first, I thought. After that was done, it was almost lunchtime. Might as well wait till after lunch. I kept doing this. Planned to talk to John before dinner, then after dinner, then the next shift. Fact is, I didn't want to talk to him at all. I didn't know what to say. And as you can guess by now, I never talked to John about his behavior that day. John never mentioned our interaction either. Well, he never mentioned it to me. But I told, realized he told the rest of the crew. Man, you know, again, that story speaks to me on a lot of different levels. Uh, you know, who hasn't dealt with that as a, as a young officer or, or even an experienced officer? You know, uh, 
the fire department that I currently work for, we're going through a huge transition now with guys with seniority retiring, young guys getting promoted, even younger people coming up through the ranks. And a lot of this time, we see these younger people uh, or, you know, getting hired, and we, we talk about that generation why, they're always asking why, things like that. And we misinterpret that as a challenge to our authority when these people come in and go, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? When in reality, they just want that affirmation. They just want that. They want to know why. They want to understand our profession. And a lot of us, we see that as entitlement. John Dixon talks about this, my good buddy John Dixon. We interpret that as entitlement when in reality, they're seeking clarification and we use the wrong language to talk to them. Uh, And again, I'm not great at this. I feel that me personally, I don't deal with conflict very well. In that situation, I know me personally. Uh, now, I've grown, but I can tell you probably in the past 10 times out of 10, I would have flown hot at that guy who did that. Now, I could probably say that after reading this book and studying conflict and trying to correct my personal behavior, I would maybe be down to like six out of 10. So that's not a tremendous improvement, but it is improvement. And that's what this is all about. That's to me what reading books like this uh, on leadership and on conflict are, is to just try to continuously improve. None of us are perfect. Uh, so again, you know, think of yourself if you're listening to this, you're either on the treadmill or you're just riding down the road to work. How have you been involved in a situation like this and how did you handle it? I'm going to bet that it wasn't the best way. And so uh, Randy continues on in the book um, talking about, you know, conflict and talking about the benefits of conflict. And the first time I ever read this, I'll be quite honest with you, it was, it it kind of made me feel like this is a dumb book. Like I'm reading this and and I can think back to the first time I was reading this book. It was at fire station number nine in my fire department. Uh, Ben Martin had given me the book and said, you know, read this book. It'll only take you a little bit. You'll be done with it before uh, before lunch. Okay, so as I'm reading this passage about benefits of conflict, I, I just thought it was complete garbage, uh, you know. But as I, again, have grown in my leadership roles and I've grown as a person and as a man, uh, you know, it actually makes a little bit of sense. And I'll go to the book here, Benefits of Conflict. Most people view conflict as negative and rightfully so. Conflict is often stressful. When we don't know how to deal with it, it adds to the stress. But I also see conflict management as being proactive. Now, that's an interesting take on that, being proactive, like seeking out the conflict before it happens and being able to, to kill it. I think that's 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 an interesting look at how to deal with conflict. Back to the book, because people who have a tendency to have problems have ongoing problems. If you catch these problems early and know how to deal with them capably, you can really help those for whom you are responsible to resolve their issues, which makes a difference for them and the department. Plus, it makes life easier, which feels great. Now, again, that's something that is 100% true. Who hasn't had that person who is always coming up with and saying they have a problem? Uh, you know, we, we refer to him a lot of times as an Eeyore person, right? You know, from Winnie the Pooh. Eeyore was always having problems, okay? He was always having problems, and we were always, you know, we're we're always kind of laughing at that at the kitchen table, but in reality, 
that person's going to continue to bring you the, bring you their problems. They're going to continue, and it's always, always, always something. And if you just react to those problems, if you just every problem, it's an, okay. I got to take care of this, take care of this, take care of this. It can wear you down. I know me personally, it wears me down always having to hear that's that those problem statements from people. The guy that's always coming in and you're like, what's he going to say today? But if you take a more proactive approach and you kind of go to them with that in mind that, you know, you're going to try and help them today, uh, it can you maybe can can solve some of the problems that are coming in the future. Uh you know, we have uh, a lot of people in our fire department don't understand the value of FMLA, and they think it's a way for like people to get you. When in reality, it's a way for someone to protect you. And so I started really pushing FMLA with a lot of the people who work for me with these significant social family issues or significant illnesses. And I've had and and instead of someone coming to me all the time going, "Oh, this person called out sick or this person did this or this I've got to go do this and this and this." And having to deal with the scrutiny of that, these people have filed for FMLA, their job status is protected, they're able to use this leave, and it's worked really well. And that's an example of being proactive and seeking out that conflict. Um, you know, so another way you can be proactive, and he talks about it in the book, is setting good expectations and realizing where leadership truly lies. And I want to read this passage because it really, really speaks to me, and it's something that I have been struggling with lately. And when I read this passage, it reminds me, and it's a little bit long and wordy, but it reminds me of where leadership truly lies, and I think it's totally good. And I don't want to give away the whole book, but I do want to read this chunk uh, of passage here because it, I think it speaks to a lot of company officers, and if it doesn't, then maybe you need to check your pulse because this is some really good stuff. Uh, I'm not being critical just to be critical. My intent is to bring awareness to your leadership ability. We spend so much time pointing fingers at others don't underestimate your ability to make a significant difference in your organization. Many of us, myself included, believe or have believed that we can only make change that we can only make change when we get higher up in the organization. I've heard that several times in my life. You got to get your hands on the steering wheel to make change. And I think that part of that is true. Part of that is true if you want to make global change for the organization, but to change culture of individuals you know, you don't necessarily have to be that chief or, or, you know, or whatever, deputy chief. You can make a significant impact on a circle of people from a lower level of leadership. And I don't mean lower level as in like lower, you know, like, like lowly level. I mean just a lower rank or not even a rank at all. Uh, here's the reality. The higher up you go as a leader, the more you realize the power was when you were at the lower levels. And the man... How crazy is that? Uh, you know, for most of the people who know uh, who know me, I got promoted from a lieutenant to a captain in our fire department, and a lieutenant in our fire department leads a shift. Uh, specifically, I was in charge of an engine company and then later a rescue company with only about four to five people that I was responsible for. And I thought at the time that this is great. I mean, we had a great shift, a lot of guys that wanted to work, uh, you know, came after, came to work, had fun, got after it with fitness, with training, wanted to go to fires. It was phenomenal. It was a great time. And I thought that maybe I could take that 
as a captain and put it uh and 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 you know increase my influence and have that success at a station level because that's what our most of our captains do our station captains and man I have I was completely wrong the people that I still influence the most are the people on an individual basis. I'm not saying that I haven't made any strides or anything as a station captain. Uh, you know, that still remains to be seen because I haven't been in that position very long. But I know for a fact that I had a greater influence over what people did as a lieutenant. It may have been on a smaller scale. It may have been on a smaller, like, shift level scale. I can't control what A and, what a and B shift do, but on C shift, on engine 13 or rescue 13, I was able to make a significant impact in what we did on a daily basis and influence people. And I just, you know, just yesterday on shifts, a guy that used to work for me uh, on engine and rescue 13 was there at his new station leading training all day. And I and I hope and it, and I know that he he has told me in the past that I was a tremendous influence on him being able to have the confidence to do that and learn how to lead those trainings and to educate people and to take and to take a lead role and that just made me feel so good to see that that guy has progressed so much in his career. Uh, it it was it was a true statement of how much impact that that lowest rank in our department truly has on influencing people and it really made me it almost makes me wish that I was still a lieutenant to be quite honest with you um people on the lower levels think oh when I get up to a higher level I'll be able to make some changes yeah you can write a policy but your guys and gals might or might not choose to follow it you can do some administrative things but the reality is if you really want to change your department it happens at the lower level the people are the culture and you influence the culture one person at a time. Wow. I mean, that's some powerful, powerful stuff. And it's really, you know, and, and all this stuff kind of comes full circle back to conflict management. If you can set those expectations high and you can lead the people at the lowest level, you won't have those conflicts uh, in the future. It, it really is uh, talking about being proactive and that conflict's all about leadership. We're going to go back to the book here. Um, talking about a guy that he mentored uh, as a new company officer and it was it was pretty you're talking about how rapidly change can happen if you have the dedicated person and uh, back to the book here the process of inspiring change typically takes less than two years occasionally as little as one in fact one new officer created his ideal team in less than six months while, I'll, while I tell you about his first day, see if you can pinpoint why he had such rapid success. On his very first day, he requested to go to the training grounds and assess his crew. About eight hours later, the officer and crew came dragging back to the station, sweaty and dirty. I met the officer in the parking lot. He told me who he wanted as his driver and also that he had some work to do. I told him right then that he would have the best crew in the department within six months. About five months later, he came up to me. He said, when you told me that, I thought you were full of shit. Sorry for the cursing, but that's what it was in the book. But you're right. I do have the best crew. Some of his crew rose to his expectations, and some found a way out. And some men and women who weren't on his crew requested to work with him. Just to be clear, he did have high expectations. But he also showed himself to be the officer who would go out of his way to teach you as long as you were willing to learn. The man quickly built relationships. He is a leader. 
and is respected as such. So again, that conflict, all the leadership, and I'm sure along those, those five or six months, that officer had conflict with people. There, I guarantee there was people who, who did not want to go out and train like he did. But if you set that expectation high, you'll be able to manage that conflict. You'll be able to fall back on that on that on those ex, on those high expectations to quell conflict. And then if people want to get on board with what you're doing, they'll find you. I promise, and and it's something that I have experienced. We had a significant culture change in my on the shift that I was previously talking about. We had people that didn't want to do the things that uh, we wanted to do on our shift, and we had people, and those people found a way to leave. They put in a transfer request, or they you know complained enough that they got another position or were moved to a different shift. But the people that we got in were on board and they wanted to do what we wanted to do. And we ended up having one of the best shifts I've ever been a part of. And it was a really, really eye-opening thing. So that conflict management stuff, it starts with leadership. And I've been struggling with leadership here a lot lately. I don't, I don't, you know, want to lie to you and tell you that I've got it all figured out. Uh, I have, I make leadership errors every day. I make errors in judgment every day. It's not perfection that we're seeking. It's constant improvement. And, you know, there are times where you don't think that this stuff's going to matter, but they do. So let's talk about, and we're going to go back to the book here as well. Let's talk about some things that Randy talks about in managing more conflict, specifically talking about how to deal with conflict and engage employees when you, when they present that conflict to you. So back to the book here, two ways to engage in conflict. When you want to engage conflict, you have two paths to choose, constructive or destructive. Constructive is going to make things better, and destructive is going to make them worse. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. With constructive, you're going to be task-focused. You're going to be focused on the issue, not the person. That's a big, big change from what many people are used to doing. When officers do personal attacks on people, that's destructive. It's a loser. You're, going, you're not going to get anywhere beneficial with destructive conflict. And man, that is something, again, that speaks, very, it speaks to me, and I'm sure it speaks to a lot of you out there listening. Uh, that destructive and constructive behavior, it is different. When you are, when you are looking at somebody who has, who, who has challenged you, who has, who has brought that conflict up, and we can go, and he talks about how to manage your emotions, and he talks about back to the book with how to manage your emotions and deal with conflict, you've got to become aware of your hot-button topics. To be able to manage conflict, you have to first be aware of and manage your own reaction to it. Conflict is going to create an emotional response. It's very normal, yet conflict itself doesn't trigger the initial emotion. You do. Think about the people who set off your hot buttons, those people who create the stimulus that creates the emotional response. In most cases, they're challenging a value or they're challenging what you strongly believe. That is 100% true for me. I know that most of the conflict that I get involved in is somebody who challenges something that I believe near and dear to me or challenges a value that I have. Um, you know, And that directly is a result of... You know, that directly impacts how I deal with them in either that constructive or destructive way. And I'll be quite honest with you, for a majority of my life, 
and again, people who know me can tell you this, for a majority of my life, I have dealt with conflict in a destructive way. I have torn people down. In fact, you know, I, I talk about this and to people, anybody who, who listens to me, probably the first six to seven years in the department that I currently work in, uh, I was referred to as not a bad fireman, just an asshole. So, and to some people that would make them pause. Me, I wore that asshole label like a badge of honor. That was like somebody pinning uh, a, a, you know, a medal on me because, yep, that guy's an asshole. And, and to be quite honest, a lot of the guys I looked up to were assholes, right? And I think still you need a little bit of that, but it, you can't be that all the time. If you're that all the time, you're never going to get anywhere. So I responded to conflict when people would challenge something, and it was usually some sort of fire service value. It was, I don't want to train. And I would respond to that very negatively. Well, then you're not a fireman. Uh, you're not a good fireman. You're not a great lieutenant. You're not, and I would, and I was a gossip queen. I was, a, or as one of the, my mentors calls it, a town crier. Not only would I berate the guy, I'd berate the guy to everybody in the in the battalion uh, and say, "This guy's a, a piece of garbage. He doesn't want to train. Did you see what this guy did on this fire? He didn't want to lay out. He didn't want to do this. You know, all of these things." And I just really, uh, that was a destructive behavior, and it affected. It affected my reputation in a very negative way that I'm still, to this day, working to rebuild. Uh, you know, this has been almost uh, six or seven years later. Um, you know, I'm almost, I'm still trying to rebuild that. Some people still think of me as that person, even though it's been, you know, I've made a significant change in how I try to speak, deal with people, things of that nature. People still think of me as that person. So, that destructive behavior was something very, you know, normal for me and talking about it in a constructive manner and focusing not on the person, but on the task itself and having, you know, the, the ability to deal with these things or even just the, the wherewithal to know you're being a jerk, stop doing that. Um, you know, it, it was something that was foreign to me and it's something I've had to work on. I'm still not perfect at it. There are still times where I deal with conflict in a very destructive manner, but, you know, again, through reading books like this, reading books like Extreme Ownership, and reading other leadership books that will hopefully we'll get into late on later podcasts, I've been able to cor- do some course correction and uh, progress through these things. Um, so we're going to go back to the book here. I'm going to go back to the book here, and again, I'm not telling you every piece of the book, but I want to give you little tidbits about the book that are impactful to me, hopefully to inspire you to read the book. Hopefully to inspire you to read the book for yourself. Um, you can get it pretty cheap on Amazon and 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 use this book. Give it to your company officer. So here we're going to go back to the book. You know, the book is called Crossfire, Taking the Heat Out of Conflict. And what we're talking about now in, in going back to the book is what crossfire means, okay? Uh, this is something that came to, to Randy Kern, uh, you know, just after taking a bunch of different leadership classes, specifically becoming a, con- a conflict competent fire officer, uh, you know, because he got that idea from uh, the Center for Conflict Dynamics director, Craig Rundy. And uh, so he initially came up with a class called the Becoming a Con- Conflict Competent Fire Officer. And then he was thinking about this stuff and it became the cross fire model. 
So the cross is an acronym, C-R-O-S-S, and fire just for, you know, fire. We're using this for fire officers. Um, so let's talk about what cross means. Cross is the conflict. That's what the C in cross means. R is reflect. O is objectives. S is solution. And then the other S is scribe. And so when he talks about this, and again, you're going to, you know, I want you guys to read the book, but basically the, 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 the conflict piece is identifying that conflict. Okay, identifying that conflict, figuring out what the deal is, figuring out how, you know, like, you know, there's some conflicts that are really simple, like Johnny showed up late to work. Okay, we, that's the problem here. Okay, we need to figure out, you know, and other ones are more difficult. Like, you know, the guy yelled at somebody on a scene and that may be a direct result of just he's angry at that person or maybe he's angry at a completely different situation and that's his avenue to express his anger. Um, you know, so that can be difficult. And again, you'll need to read the book to figure out some of those other stuff. The other R, reflect. When you're reflecting, you're listening. You're actively listening. Um, you know, everything, every conflict management skill or listening skill that you have ever learned, you need to apply when you're reflecting on that conflict, okay? You, you really need to listen and actively listen to people. The other, uh, the O, rather, is objectives. And there's a big piece in the objective stuff that I want to delve into, and I really think it speaks to me, and it speaks to, again, it talks about kind of that constructive and destructive. This talks about a lot about language that you use for objectives. You know, so step one, we identified the conflict. Uh, step two, we reflected, we listened. Now, step three, we've heard our crew member, and now we need to lay out what our objectives are so that we can solve the conflict. And when we do that, we need he talks about using certain types of language. He use he calls it red, white and blue language. He describes red language as someone telling you don't do something. Uh he he equates that to like being in a baseball game and when someone tells you don't swing at the high pitch. Usually what happens is you swing at the high pitch. You set them up because people don't respond to don't, right? And it even says, back to the book, people don't register don't slash not. That's the problem with don't slash not statements. Don't or not doesn't tell anyone what they do need to do. So it doesn't tell you what you need to do. It just tells you what not to do, okay? It's actually really, it's really true. My uh, oldest son plays travel baseball, and every time that I'm trying to give him tips or advice, like, don't do this, he'll do it. And it frustrates me so bad because I, and I, and I don't understand why he can't get it because he's focused on the negative. He's focused on the negative. And I'm not trying to get touchy-feely with anybody. I'm not a touchy-feely guy. But how often do you respond to conflict and say, don't do that? Or don't do this. And we're, we're using this such negative language with people instead of trying to explain to them what we really want them to do. Uh, the next, he calls it white language. And this is all, he calls it, and back to the book, I call it white language because white is actually a cold color. It is judgment and labels. It is how we view a person which has more to do with us than it does with them. And he uses an example, if we think they're unfriendly, we will find data 
to support it. And that is, that's a, uh, again, that speaks to me uh, a lot because that's a true, true, true story. If you, um, you, we all have biases, okay? You cannot avoid biases. We all have them. And we take those biases with us into every human interaction that we have. So if you interact with somebody and you you and and you initially find out that you don't like them, you're going to apply that bias to everything that they do. Okay? So like for example, once I've made an opinion of someone a firefighter and if maybe I've made that negative opinion is that they're not a good firefighter. Even if they do something good, I'm probably going to attach some sort of negative connotation to it like they just got lucky. Or someone must have told them to do that. That's why they were successful. Things like that. That's a very biased way to, to view things. So when you're looking at those things and you're trying to set those objectives, you've got to take some of your bias out of it too. And lastly, he talks about blue language. And this is the language that we want to use when we're dealing with people. Okay? So back to the book. Blue is specific, observable, sincere, like a cool, smooth ocean. It's obviously the language we want to use when we explain the objectives that we want a crew member to accomplish. Blue language is also valuable during feedback, both verbal and written, such as an employee evaluation. He also says in the book, remember the kids' baseball game? Instead of don't slash not, paint a picture of what you want them to do, i.e. swing at the pitches in the strike zone. Stop being difficult. Well, that doesn't tell me how to be easygoing. And even being easygoing is generic. When you say I'm being difficult, what is that? What am I doing and what does it look like to do it right? Paint a clear picture of what you of what the right action or behavior looks like. It's much more effective. Wow. I, and again, that speaks volumes, especially to these newer generation firefighters that are coming in here. And again, I'm not trying to tell you to be all lovey-dovey or anything like that. I'm not even trying to tell you not to treat them as rookie firefighters. What I am trying to teach you to do or, or reiterate through the teachings of Randy Kern is when you're dealing with this conflict, when you're dealing with things like that, and when you're talking to them for the very first time, set clear-cut expectations. Clear precise expectations and you may have to delve down into the weeds because we're not recruiting firefighters that are that have volunteer fire experience so you may have to delve into the weeds like hey when we get a call for service if it's an ems call you don't need to put your bunker pants or your turnout gear on unless it is one of these specific things if you have a question ask me i'll tell you what you need to wear if we have any call that says fire, you need to put your full turnout gear on and then list that out. That's that's boots, pants, coat, gloves, Nomex, and helmet. And that is a clear... Now this person understands what your clear-cut objectives are. I used to do this thing when I was in charge of an engine company. We had an engine company playbook. And it had all the different responsibilities for each seat 
on the engine for a variety of different situations. A single, uh, you know, a, a single-story residential fire, a multifamily apartment fire, like what the roles and responsibilities are. And when we had someone transfer in for the day from another station, I would print that off and hand it to them, ask them to read it, and then I would go back and go over it with them. So that way they would know what our expectations were, what their expectations were for that day. And I always ended that with, if at any point you don't remember one of these things or you don't know what to do, ask me. We're not going to leave you hanging out to dry. Man, you know, I got so many, and I'm not bragging on myself. It's just something that, you know, I thought was valuable. And I got a lot of compliments on it because people, you know, they didn't have any question of what their expectations were that day. Complete opposite of some of the scenarios I was placed in as a young firefighter going into different stations where they go, throw your stuff in the back. And they wouldn't tell me what kind of hose loads they ran. They wouldn't tell me, even when I asked to say, hey, can you, someone come show me this, that we're eating breakfast right now or we're doing this right now. So think about those two scenarios and which one is going to be more successful uh, instead of using some of that red language. So again, that is something that really, really spoke to me. Um, and again, the book, just to say the title again, that's, that's all I'm going to read from the book at this time. I encourage you to go get it yourself. It's Crossfire. Taking the Heat Out of Conflict, A Conflict Resolution Guide for Officers by Randy Kern. Um, you can get it on uh, Amazon. He has a website, www.randykern.com. And Kern is spelled K-E-I-R-N. I know that uh, you know, there may be a, different, a lot of different spellings for that. So I want to make sure that people can find the website if they want to. Again, it's www.randykern.com. Randy spelled R-A-N-D-Y, Kern spelled K-E-I-R-N. And I think that's a book that's valuable to you. I think it's a book if you're a company officer, you're an aspiring company officer, or you're just somebody who just sucks at dealing with conflict like I do, it's something that can be valuable for you. It's something that you can can take the lessons out of it, apply. They're common sense lessons that make sense. They're common sense lessons that make sense, not just for fire officers, but in how to deal with conflict in your daily life. I use some of these things on my son, uh, my sons, my two boys, and I use some of these things. And, and you know, like anything else, you're going to come, you're going to have variables that sometimes may throw you off the rails if you're using whatever kind of conflict ma management that you're using, uh, whether it's crossfire or some other sort of method. But it gives you a good starting point. It gives you some common sense things to use in order to manage that conflict, which we're seeing more and more today. So that's all I've got for the, the book. Stay tuned for just the normal end of the podcast stuff. Well, that's all I've got for this week's podcast. Again, uh, we reviewed the book Crossfire, Taking the Heat Out of Conflict uh, by Randy Kern. Again, you can get that book, Amazon, randykern.com, all of these different things. I'm sure you can get it in maybe your local Barnes & Noble or uh, or whatever place you'd like to buy books from. Uh, so just at the end of the podcast, again, like to just shout out to all the people that have supported me, all the people that have listened. Specifically, want to talk about some products that I use that you can get to, and they're from great, great companies. 
First off, Vanguard Safety Wear, the makers of the MK1 Fire Glove. Those gloves, I've been using them, and if you've listened to the other episodes of the podcast, I've been using them since FDIC 2018. I've had a couple, uh, you've been doing some training with them, just had a, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about the last podcast where we had a, a a fire, a, a, a fire in a crawl space with uh, pouring down rain. Use those gloves; they got soaking wet. We're able to had another call where I needed to utilize them within like an hour or two. They were dry, they were flexible, they were just great, great gloves. So Vanguard Safety Wear MK1 Fire Gloves. They're coming out with some. They have some rescue gloves. They're going to come out with a new version of the MK. Uh, I, I can't remember what it's called, but go to VanguardSafetyWear.com. They are made for work. And secondly, I'd like to give a big shout out to Fire and Iron Clothing. Fire and Iron Clothing is a public safety clothing company that is designed to be comfortable for your regular uh, daily life and for working out. They're great. They're comfortable. They have hats. They have shirts. They have tank tops. They've got water bottles, stickers, bracelets. Um, they're working on new stuff all the time. They, it is some great stuff. They want to motivate you. They want to inspire you. And they want to help you get in shape, uh, specifically public safety workers, but for anybody out there. I'm a brand ambassador with Fire and Iron Clothing. So if you want a discount on Fire and Iron Clothing, use the code AVERAGEJAKE, A-V-G-J-A-K-E, and that'll get you a discount on Fire and Iron Clothing. Go to www.fireandironclothing.com for all your clothing needs. And again, use that code, Average Jake. And that's all I had again. Just want to thank those uh, everyone for listening. Want to thank everybody for just the inspiration. Want to thank everybody for just the positive vibes for the podcast. As I say, when I end everything that I do, spend an hour in the gym every day working on your physical fitness. Spend an hour in the library reading something about our profession, watching a fire service video, reading your SOGs, reading your EMS protocols. Spend one hour every day doing some sort of hands-on training, getting your hands on that fire hose, your SCBA, your ladders, your forcible entry. Even if you don't have those things at your house, using something simple like an old piece of rope to tie knots, using something like battle ropes to practice your hose line movements and stretching hose, using anything you can to get those critical sets and reps for you. If you do all of those things, you will be a pretty phenomenal firefighter. Thanks for listening. Stay safe.